If you would, take your copy of God's Word, turn to Psalm and chapter 2. Psalm and chapter 2. That's where we will be uh, camping out today. Psalm chapter 2. And before we dive any further into this, let's go ahead and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask Him to help us as we look at His Word. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask, Father, that You would give us understanding of it, that You would speak to us through it, that You would strengthen our faith. Father, that we would always remember that you have set your king on your throne, that Christ reigns forever and ever, and let us always find comfort in that and find hope in that. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And so as we dive into the, this, this psalm, Psalm chapter 2, uh, the thing about this psalm is it is one of the psalms that is called a messianic psalm. And all that means is the psalm about Jesus Christ, about Christ, the Messiah, who would come and we know now has come. And as we read through this, you'll notice that there are, there are several statements that are made that could not be said of any normal, just human. It would have to be said of Christ, of the Messiah, of Jesus, the, the Son of God. And so being a messianic psalm, it's going to talk about the reign of God's King, the reign of the Messiah, the reign of Jesus Christ. And so as we look through that, have kind of those lenses on as we read through this psalm. Starting in verse 1, Psalm chapter 2. The Word of God says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves against the rulers, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify him in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Bless are those who take refuge in him. I want to call your attention to that last verse, that last phrase. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him, in God's king, and whom we believe is Jesus Christ. And so we live in a uh, constitutional republic, right? And so uh, we have a constitution that dictates kind of what we do and, and what we're supposed to do. And a lot of a lot of times when we look through history, we see that, that our nation was, was founded on, on a set of principles, uh, Judeo-Christian values and morals, and, and was founded as, a, as somewhat of a, a Christian nation, so to speak. And, and Thomas Jefferson, he, he, he wrote, I believe it was him, if I'm remembering correctly, that the Constitution was only good for a religious and moral people. Now, Thomas Jefferson might probably wasn't a Christian in, in the true sense of the word because we know that he also cut out all the miracles in the Bible. He was more like a deist. He believed there was a God who created things. But he, even with that, understood that the Constitution was good to govern a, a moral and religious people. And over the course of time, 
you will see that nations come and nations go. And if you've been looking through the book of Judges like we are in our Sunday school class, you'll see that the people of Israel, they experience peace, they experience good things, and then what do they do? They turn from God, and they're overtaken, and they're subdued, and all those things. And throughout history, we see that nations do what? They come and go. Rulers come and go. Kings come and go. Presidents are elected, and then other presidents are elected. Congressmen are elected, and then other congressmen are elected. People who are in charge come and go. But the thing is, we have a king who does not just come and go. As Christians, we have a king, and his name is Jesus. He is God's king. And the thing about uh, our life as as Christians that we need to to remember is that we are really citizens of of two kingdoms. Uh, We're a citizen of this world, because this is where we live, but we're also a citizen of heaven. By having trusted Christ, being, being welcomed to the family of God by the death of Jesus on the cross, we also are citizens of heaven. This world is not our ultimate home. We are really described as pilgrims that are passing through this world. And so even though uh, many of us are, are Americans, our citizenship is in America, and that's a good thing, we need to remember that also our citizenship is also in heaven. Because nations come and go, people come and go, rulers come and go, but Jesus Christ never comes and goes. He is on his throne and he has been. And so as we look at this passage, that's one of the things that we can take comfort in is knowing that God's king will reign. Jesus Christ will reign. Even when the world around us seems to be falling apart at times. Even when the world around us goes good. Guess what? Jesus Christ still reigns. And that's what we see in this passage. In fact, the psalmist here is going to be talking about how uh, the rulers of the world have set themselves up against Christ, but that Christ himself still reigns and still wins. And so the truth I want us to understand, I believe that God has for us this morning, is that no matter the opposition that seems to be facing God and God's people, Jesus Christ still reigns. He is still on his throne. And so notice with me, uh, when we look at this, we're really going to be looking at how Jesus reigns. We, we, We know he's going to reign because he's God. He's on his throne. He's reigning and ruling now. But how is it that he does reign? What does his reign look like? In, in the first part of his reign, the, the first way that he reigns might be a little surprising because we don't always think of God like this. We don't always think of, of Jesus like this. Uh, but what we're going to see in these first four verses is that one of the ways that, that Jesus reigns, that God's king reigns, is by mocking the wicked. He mocks the wicked and the wicked rulers. Notice there in verses 1 through 4, the psalmist asks, Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? So uh, the nations, they're raging, they're, they're angry, they're, they're acting insane. There's kind of chaos that is erupted in many of the nations that are surrounding Israel. And we can look around and we can see that nations still today are raging and angry and crazy things are happening. And, and then it says, and why do they plot in vain? And so somehow these rulers of these nations, they got together, they created a plot. And the psalmist here is saying that it's, it's for nothing. They're wasting their time and their plot. But what is it that they are plotting to do? What is it that they are planning to do? And we see that there in verse 2. The kings of the earth have set themselves 
And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And so uh, the, the kingdoms of this world, the nations of this world, uh, have set themselves against God and against God's anointed. If you remember earlier, I said we exist in two kind of a two kingdoms. If you're a Christian, you're a part of the kingdom of God as well as a part of the of the nation in which you live. And the the nations, the rulers of this world, if they do not follow Christ, they are set what against Christ. You're either for Christ or you're against Christ. And so if you are not a follower of Christ, if you're a ruler and you're not trusting Christ and you're not governing according to the principles of the Bible, then you have set yourselves up against God. Can we not look around us and see how the nations have set themselves up against God? How the nations of this world promote things that are wicked and ungodly. No matter the nation, we see that they are nations that prop up things that are evil and wicked. And so they plot together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So these, these, the wicked people and the wicked nations and the wicked rulers, they feel that God's commands are a burden. He says, let us cast their bonds from us. Let us cast away the cords from us. They feel that they are reined in and enslaved by the commands of God. How many times have you ever heard that, that Jesus is just a buzzkill? That he just doesn't really want you to have fun? That God just really has a list of things that you don't do, and that's just kind of how life is? I heard that a lot growing up, that God just doesn't want you to have fun. He has all these lists of things that you should and shouldn't do, and all this. Uh, but can I tell you something? The Ten Commandments are not used for us to get into heaven. It points us to the fact of our own sinfulness. When we look at God's law, when we look at God's commands, we see that that is God's way of helping us to have a life of flourishing. God's way truly is the best way. Because if you go into someone's house and you start stealing from them, chances are your life is going to be cut short. If you dishonor your parents and you are um, just doing all sorts of things, running around and rebelling against them, chances are you're going to end up doing something that's going to get you in a world of hurt, in a world of trouble, and maybe even worse, in the, de- in the graveyard. If, you, um, if you're going around and you're, you're, you're murdering someone, well, guess what? You're probably going to get executed. The, the nation does not bear the sword in vain. It is meant to subdue evil. And so when we look at God's law and we start asking ourselves about the different parts of God's law, we really see that God's law is given there, one, because it's a standard of perfect goodness and holiness, but two, when we live according to those principles, we really do have a life that flourishes by the grace of God. It doesn't, it doesn't mean we go to heaven because we perfectly keep the law, because guess what? We can't do that. We cannot perfectly keep God's law. It's impossible for us, but that's why Jesus came. Because Jesus, God's king, kept God's law perfectly for us. But sometimes we in our own sinfulness by nature feel that God just has all these bonds on us, that he just... He just doesn't want us to have fun. And a lot of that, I really think, comes from people adding to what God's Word says. But that's another sermon for another time. 
The thing we need to understand is that oftentimes the world views the, the commands of God as a burden. And so they come together and say, we don't want to follow God. We don't want to do things God's way. It's the same sin that Satan committed. It's the same sin that Adam and Eve committed that they feel like they know better than God. And so they want to break away from him. But how does God respond to that? Verse 4. He who sits in heaven, this is talking about God, what does he do? He laughs. They are plotting trying to figure out how they can take God off his throne, how they can overthrow his rule in their life. And what does God do? He laughs. And on top of that, it says, goes further than him just laughing at their foolishness. He then goes on to say, he holds them in derision. So he doesn't just laugh at it. He literally mocks them. That's the idea of derision is that is this intense, mockery. God himself mocks the wicked rulers and those that would seek to overthrow his throne. Why? Because the Lord knows that they're wasting their time. It is a foolish feat to try to overthrow the rule of God. In Psalm 37, 12 through 13, the Bible says, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. So why does the Lord laugh? Why does he mock the wicked? Because he knows that his day is coming and he is going to win. Uh, We see around us all sorts of crazy things going on, and sometimes we can feel discouraged as Christians, uh, that, that maybe God has maybe forgotten about us. Sometimes we might feel like that. And, and we need to understand God is still on his throne. He hasn't left. He's still there. I think about uh, my brothers and sisters across the world that are experiencing intense persecution, that are being killed for simply serving Christ. And we try to put ourselves like in their shoes and our minds, and we cannot even fathom what they're going through. And so like it's easy for me, for me to sit here in the U.S. of A. and the freedom that we have when we're not experiencing like that, that form of persecution that, that many of them are and say that God is still on his throne. But can I tell you, the believers over there believe the same thing. They believe the word of God, that God is faithful, that God is on his throne. I think back to Daniel and the lion's den. When Daniel was going to be cast into the lion's den, he told the king, he said, look, God can close the mouth of lions, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. That God's either going to deliver him from the mouths of the lions or through the mouths of the lions. You catch the faith in all that? He's either going to deliver him from it or through it. And that's how our life is. And the trials that we face and the persecutions that we might face, our brothers and sisters face. Either God will deliver us from those things or he'll deliver us through those things. Either way, we get to be with God. We get to be with him. And so he mocks the wicked because he knows that their ways are foolish, that their, their day is coming, that he ultimately rules and that he ultimately reigns. And not only does he mock the wicked, we see that he's going to also destroy the wicked. Notice there, verse 5, Then he will speak to them in his wrath, terrify him in his fury. Let's just stop there for a second. How many times do we think of Jesus as being wrathful and full of fury? 
A lot of times we, we like to think God is love, and He is, but He's also just, and He's also wrathful, and He's also full of fury. We cannot separate God into parts. He is 100% love, and at the same time, 100% just, and at the same time, 100% gracious, and at the same time, 100% wrathful. And what that means is, is that He will punish Sin And so he says, he speaks to them in his wrath and fury, saying, as for me, this is God talking, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He's saying, you, the kings of the world, you're gathering yourselves together, you're plotting against me, but guess what? I have a king, and I have set him on his throne. And this is first talking about David, but as we start thinking about and looking through this, we're going to see that start talking about things that cannot apply to David himself, but must apply to someone who is far greater than David, someone who is far greater than us. And it says there in verse 7, I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Who is Jesus? He is the only begotten son of God. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. To be begotten of God, you must be the Son of God. And David was not the eternal Son of God, but Jesus Christ is. And so Jesus Christ, He's on His throne. He's there and He says, Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. God is giving Jesus Christ the nations. We're told in the book of Revelation that God has a people for himself from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. That there are people from every tribe, tongue, nation, people group that are going to be in heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The nations belong to the Lord. In Habakkuk, we read that the glory of the Lord will cover the world as waters cover the sea. That it belongs to Jesus. The nations are his heritage the ends of the earth are his possession it all belongs to the cross because jesus christ is lord he has all authority he's on his throne and as such there is a day coming when he will destroy the wicked for we see in verse 9 you shall break them let's talk about wicked and wicked nations and wicked rulers you shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel just think of the imagery that's right there with that potter's vessel. You have clay and you chunk it on the ground and what's going to happen? It's going to shatter into a, middle, a million little pieces. That's what Jesus is going to do to wicked nations and wicked people. He is going to punish them. He is going to pour out his wrath upon them because he is king. When we look at Job 34, 21-24, speaking of God, it says, For his eyes, God's eyes, are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. God knows everything we do, everything we think, everything we say. There is no gloom or deep darkness where evildoers may hide themselves. No matter how far we try to run, no matter how far people try to hide themselves, they cannot hide themselves from God. For God has no need to consider a man further that he should go before God in judgment. He shatters the mighty without investigation and sets others in their place. God doesn't need to investigate because he knows. 
He sets people in their place and he shatters the wicked. This is what God does. This is what he will do. And in Revelation 19, 15, we get a picture of when that's ultimately going to happen. Now, in this day, we still see that there is evil that is conquered. There is evil that is vanquished. There is evil that is judged. Even wicked rulers are at times removed from office. We see those type of things that happen today. Uh, The reason that God has civil government in place, did you know that civil government is actually a minister of God on behalf of good? Romans 13 talks about that, how they are a servant of God for justice. And therefore, they are called to submit to God. Now, do many of them do that? They don't acknowledge that, many of them. But they are God's servants to punish wicked and to punish evil. And so, in this day, we do see that wicked is punished, that evil is punished at the hands of the civil magistrates that God has put in place. The reason we have police, the reason we have military, the reason we have all these things is because God has ordained those type of things so that evil can be kept at bay, so that evil can be punished. But we live in a broken and a fallen world, and sometimes evil goes unpunished for a while, but we know that in the end, it will be dealt with. In the end, all evil will be vanquished, and it will be vanquished by the King himself, Jesus Christ. Notice Revelation 19, 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. How does God conquer the wicked? By his own word. When Christ returns, he is going to make all things new. He he is going to come in an hour that we do not know, at a time we do not expect. It can be at any time. And so we need to make sure that we are on the side of God's king. We need to search our lives, ask ourselves, is there anything unclean in us that we need to turn from? That we need to trust Christ in? Sometimes we go through life and we play church and we play Christian, but we don't actually trust Christ. Are you trusting Jesus, God's King? as the only one who can protect you, as the only one who can save you from the wrath that is to come. Because the wrath of God is coming. God's King is coming. And when He comes at that time, it will be too late. And so the psalmist here gives us this hope. We see that God, He mocks the wicked and He destroys the wicked, but He also blesses those who take refuge in Him. And that's what we see in verses 10 through 12. There's this plead here from the psalmist to the people of the world and to the rulers of the world. It says, now, therefore, O kings, be wise. You've heard everything that God is going to do, that God's king is going to do. So be wise. Use your head. Think about what is better for you. Be warned because you know what is coming. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Verse 11, serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling, kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way. In other words, worship the king. Those who worship the king are blessed because they have refuge in him. Notice who the psalmist is talking to there. He's talking to the same wicked people, wicked nations and wicked rulers that were setting themselves against God and he invites them to come onto his side. 
And that's exactly what Christ has done for us, God's King. He has paid for our sins, our rebellion, our wickedness on the cross. And He has accomplished our salvation by raising from the grave. And He commands everyone everywhere to repent and come to Him, to trust Him. Are you going to follow your King? Are you going to trust Jesus each and every day of your life? Because He is our refuge. He is our strength. And when that time comes, when He, when wicked is punished and vanquished, when we have our refuge in Him, we are blessed, we are safe, we are secure. When we trust Christ, He is our refuge. Blessed are those who take refuge in Him, in Jesus God's King, Jesus, reigns despite the opposition of this world by mocking the wicked, destroying wicked nations, and blessing his people. So we can believe that truth that Jesus Christ is King. He is Lord. He is on his throne. We can believe that truth today and let that truth fuel our motivation and our faith and our trust to take refuge in him because we know that nothing can separate us from Christ. Nothing in this world can separate us from God. All those who take refuge in Jesus Christ are blessed. We receive the blessings of forgiveness and eternal life and a peace that surpasses all understanding. And at the same time we believe those truths, we need to avoid the error that we see here applauding against God. How often do we go and we try to see how close to the line that we can get of sin without crossing over the sin? How close we can get to, to the command of God without crossing over and getting into sin. How often do we try to plot against Christ? But we can praise God that when we trust Him, we're forgiven, we're given the power to turn from those sins, that we are blessed to have refuge in Him. We can praise God that one day all evil will be vanquished, that all the effects of sin will be gone. There's no more cancer, no more death, no more dementia, no more anything. All those things are gone because Christ is going to take care of sin and the effects of sin. And we can praise God for that. And until that day, by faith, we can serve the Lord. We can rejoice in Him. Praise His holy name because we know that He is our King who has laid down His life for us, taken it up again, and continues to live for us each and every day. He is our King he will reign and he does reign. Jesus is king. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have set your son on the throne, that he reigns, that he rules, that, that no matter the opposition that, that faces Christians, that faces you and your king, that you are always victorious, that as we go out in your name, that that you walk alongside us, that you deliver us either from the trials that we face or through the trials that we face. In the end, we know that in you we win. And so, Father, help us to serve you with gladness all the days of our life. Help us to praise you all the days of our life. Help us to, to worship you all the days of our life. Help us always to remember that you are on the throne, that you are our King. Help us to look to you for guidance in our life, for direction in our life, knowing that you are the one that is on your throne. Help us to take hope and to take heart, knowing that you have overcome the world and that you will vanquish sin and all of its effects in this life. 
and in the life to come. We thank you, Lord, for all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.